Do you believe in the Bible? It is an incredible book. The Exodus, one of the basic stories of the scripture, there's a lot of evidence for it. And we're going to talk about that today. Here we go. All right, brother. Well, uh, I got my friend Logan Keysweater with me here in, uh, I was going to say in studio, but it's in Skype, in Skype studio. What up, Logan? How you doing, man? Hey, I am doing great, brother. Awesome. Awesome. You. awesome. Well, uh, glad to have you again. And uh, yeah, yeah, cool that you're uh, you're working with Tim there. You guys got the movie at uh, Patterns of Evidence coming out this uh, this week. Actually, we're recording today, Sunday, so it's coming out tomorrow, Monday. I've already got my tickets purchased. I'm supposed to go with a friend of mine, uh, potentially his daughter and my son. Uh, so we're we're supposed to go. And uh, just, just, I think that's going to be real cool. I've seen all of Tim's movies, and at least the whole Patterns of Evidence series. They're super cool. Um, I, I know that people have seen you before, but just real quick, kind of like bring them back up to speed on who you are and uh, how you got working with Tim. Yeah, so absolutely. So again, like you said, Logan. Um, so I was I was working for Ryan Morrow. Basically, I I, th- I think I shared with the audience before is like I kind of had like a journey. I grew up Christian, had a period where I strayed away from faith. Played in a punk rock band for three years. Had kind of a rock bottom experience and felt called to come back to faith. And in that calling, just pursued evidence in science and history and archaeology that confirmed the Bible is true. And that led me to this debate of, you know, the Exodus. What what time period did the Exodus occur in and where did some of the events take place? Like, where's Mount Sinai? Got connected with some of the, uh, what, who Tim refers to as the Exodus explorers that have been going out to Saudi Arabia to Jibla Laws, Jibla Makla, <laughs> which you and I think is Mount Sinai. Yes. Um, got linked up with Ryan Morrow. Ryan was kind enough to take me on his team, which was Doubting Thomas Research Foundation. And then after a while, we got connected with Tim. And then through a course of events, Tim was kind enough to bring me on the patterns team. And so I now work full time for patterns of evidence as one of their on staff editors. Um, so I get to, I got to help edit this last film and it was a huge blessing and gift from God. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I I think, um, you you know, his, his movies are really incredible. I think just if somebody's out there and you're a skeptic and you're not sure, like if, if the Bible is true, these are literally built for that kind of person. I think if you're also a Christian who, you know, you've had questions about the Bible being true or me, I went all the way through seminary. So I've, I took the academic route. Um, and I went to a conservative seminary where they, I heard for, that there was no evidence for the Exodus. Now these were, this was coming from people who believed in it. They believed that it, that it was historically accurate, but they were still saying that there was no that there was no evidence. And so um, I guess having said that, uh, Tim's film's just incredible, uh, just just absolutely amazing. And, uh, you, you know, so um, he's got he's got part two now coming out in the theaters this week of Journey to Mount Sinai. But could you kind of take people on a recap of his other movies, like where he started? Because I know yeah. that for Tim, this is the end of like a 20 year journey his first movie, I think, came out, was it like 2015 or something like yep. that? And that was Patterns of Evidence, The Exodus. But but this is this is movie number six, right, in the series yeah. that's coming out now. Um, so, so he has to do like a seven or an eight, doesn't he? I mean, oh, those are the biblical numbers. Mm-hmm. There's much, yes, yes, and there's, <laughs> there's much more. I can't. We can't stop like, on six. That's like, you know, he has no, to keep going. <laughs> 
we got to keep going. We got to go beyond that. And there, there is, there is more, there is more on the horizon. Yeah, I, I'll text you. There's a sermon out there. A pastor uh, preached one time. Don't stop on six. So send it my way. I it's, like it's, that. Yeah, because you got to share it with Tim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, absolutely. So, that's good to know. He's got more on the on the horizon. Tell us how he got from point A to point B. Like, tell us about this twenty year journey. I know that you work uh, with him and, and everything. So tell us tell us about this journey and, and these other movies and maybe how to, how somebody could get brought up to speed if they wanted to go see this in the theater or even if they just wanted to watch it after it comes out, uh, you know, on digital or streaming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Tim, a lot of this started back actually in the early 2000s. Tim had heard about people like Dr. Leonard Moeller and then eventually heard about Jim and Penny Caldwell, some of these early Exodus explorers, even Ron Wyatt, um, some of these Exodus explorers who had been going out and, and looking in different locations for evidence of the Exodus. Because um, a lot of people, a lot of skeptical scholars, the, the debate really comes down to what time period did the Exodus occur in? And then also where are the locations, where are the true locations for the Red Sea crossing and Mount Sinai. And so he got involved in that debate with some of these people that were looking at an alternative site in Saudi Arabia, Jebel Allah's Jebel Makla, which you and I both have been to and we we believe is Mount Sinai. Oh, yeah. 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 Period. It is period. End of story. Yep. Period. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Exclamation point. (laughs) um, But he he got. We're going to get hate for that, Logan, but it's okay. No, I know there's going to be comments. I and... know. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Undeserved. I, th- I think it is. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're good. You know, maybe some private messages sent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, 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 but so Tim got connected with the Caldwells. And eventually in 2003, Tim, Jim and Penny Caldwell, Dr. Leonard Moeller, and also Dr. Glenn Fritz, they went to Saudi Arabia to Jibbala Laws. They had full permission to be there, to go there and document things. But when they got to the mountain, things changed and got a little bit dangerous and they weren't welcome there, even though they had official permission to be there. Tim had all of his footage confiscated. He was only able to bring back the photos from the trip. And so what's really remarkable is that this is literally exactly 20 years later. Their last day in Saudi Arabia was May 15th, 2003. And this oh film is being gracious. released May 15th, 2023. Holy to the cow. Literally 20 years to the day. Literally that's, 20 that's years incredible. To the day. That's incredible. So what, what were the other movies that he came out with and what was his reasoning in the sequential order of them? Yeah. So the other movies that have come out are Patterns of Evidence Exodus. The second one is The Moses Controversy. Then you have The Red Sea Miracle Parts 1 and 2, and now Journey to Mount Sinai Parts 1 and 2. And so the logic was it's good to bring in multiple viewpoints, have scholars that are pro and scholars that are con, let everybody have their fair say, and then let the evidence come to the surface and the evidence will reveal what the truth is and people can make up their own minds. And so the thought was, well, finding the location of Mount Sinai doesn't matter if the Israelites were in Egypt. So we need to look in Egypt first, see if there's evidence for Joseph, his family, the sojourn in Egypt, see if that's there. And if so, what time period did that occur in? Because that's the debate. If you look in the time period, most scholars look in in the, in the reign of Ramses II, you don't find anything. Oh, but yeah. if you if you look in earlier time periods, which would line up with the biblical date of the Exodus, 1446, you do find evidence of a vast Semitic population living in Egypt. And there's a little bit of a nuance with that debate, too, is, well, what not only is what what's the biblical date of the Exodus, but also what Egyptian dynasty lines up with that date. OK, yeah, yeah. OK, so I, I know that in the first movie, uh, Patterns of Evidence, the Exodus, he's basically dealing with Egypt, like you said. So that's where he talks about a shift, like a, a time shift 
in mm-hmm. Egyptology and when they think some of these things happened, whether it was the, uh, the these different reigns of the different pharaohs, um, because there's some gray area in terms of how they understand these these pharaohs and their reigns and when they lived. And so that's where he talked about that. Part two, for me, might have been the biggest, uh, probably the, the biggest revelation, so to speak, because that was another thing that I heard. He, now, his uh, movie's called The Moses Controversy, Pattern, Patterns of Evidence, The Moses Controversy. But again, having gone through academia, one of the things you hear is that the Hebrew language, the first time we see it is after the after the Babylonian captivity and that the letters Hebrew letters what we call Hebrew letters this is what I heard in school is that those are actually Aramaic letters so you know that the Hebrews didn't really write their stories down until after again this is coming from conservative people they didn't necessarily believe that I think many of them took that by faith but I didn't learn at all about like you know this proto Hebrew script um, that he discusses in the patterns of evidence, uh, the, the second film there. So that to me was like incredible. And then when he sort of, you know, he, he makes that link to maybe Joseph or somebody like that in that time frame, uh, potentially taking the hieroglyphs and then morphing them into developing the world's first alphabet. I think there's a lot of cool things to explore there because if you take the Bible literally, a big part of my ministry is doing that, is trying to help people understand that the Bible's true. I know that obviously that's your emphasis and patterns of evidence as well. But um, I feel like that's kind of like, that's really where the culture war starts for me. Because I think when we see a lot of the, the chaos and the craziness going on today, people are doubting the Bible. And they're doubting the Bible because they're being taught evolution. They're being taught uh, that this stuff is just mythology from the time that they're children, from the time that they're two years old. And so like, this is where we, you know, have some of these problems. So for me, a big emphasis of my ministry is trying to encourage people, no, this is true. You can take it at face value. God created the earth in six literal days. It's all good. Um, the, the Exodus really happened. Moses really wrote the Bible. And so that's what he covers in his, his second film. And then I guess the, the final four films are all centered around this, um, you know, the, the Red Sea crossing and this Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia. So he, and he splits, I guess, those up into two parts. It's Red Sea crossing part one and two, and then journey to Mount Sinai part one and two. And so, yeah. uh, spoiler alert, you and I have both been there. Yep. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. So we've seen these things in person. Um, I think, you know, we can make an educated guess at, and as to where we think the exodus happened and took place for all those reasons that he documents, but he does nonetheless document them. And I just want to say that, you know, they, these are really cool films. I want to encourage you. If you haven't seen them, please go see them. Really awesome. Uh, Logan, you have actually studied the ex, the Pharaoh of Exodus, this whole topic. And so I thought this might be a fun thing for us to explore today is this idea of who was the Pharaoh of the Exodus. Okay. Now, if you just take things at face value, you come up with, uh, I think it's Amenhotep the second. I think that's what, what some people have done. Um, I just watched somebody talking about this the other day and he was, he was pretty insistent that this was the guy. He does seem to fit some of the biblical criteria, Ramses, the one, the Pharaoh of the 1956 Ten Commandments movie, which is, you know, 
greatest Ten Commandments movie of all time. I mean, Charlton Heston, mm-hmm. I think, best Moses of all time, you know, in mm-hmm. my book. Um, yes. <laughs> there was a lot of things they got right in that movie. I mean, I would be interested to hear your point of view, but, like, they got the spectacular nature of the miracles right, I think, which is really cool. If you just put other the, the right Pharaoh's name in there, I think it's all good, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's got a yeah. Nefertiri, you know, and all But, like, you know, so, I mean, all of that is is cool. They do actually use in that movie uh, St. Catherine. The, the, what's what's the name of the mountain at St. Catherine's Monastery there, the traditional Mount Sinai? Yeah, two of them. There's Jibble Musa and then Jibble Safsafa, and I think they use Jibble Safsafa. Okay, so for, they, they actually take a picture of that and they Photoshop it in 1956 photoshopping <laughs> they put that right in the move that's their mount sinai so um so so yeah they said that Ram, this ramses who was the 13th century bc mm-hmm. they said that he was that's that's cb DeMille when he's making that he's saying that they ramses is the pharaoh of the exodus however if you look look at certain biblical criteria uh for example the Bible dates during Solomon's reign, the Exodus to the 14th century BC. So this would have been a hundred years before Ramses was Pharaoh. You actually do see somewhat of an alignment with this Amenhotep II. Now, um, I've got a little bit of information on him here. He was the seventh Pharaoh of the 18th dynasty of Egypt, Amenhotep inherited a vast kingdom from his father, Thutmose III, and held it by means of a few military campaigns. So um, he also had, I think, someone who wasn't his firstborn son take over after he died, and I think that would have been Thutmose IV, I believe. There is a, a tablet on the Sphinx about... But most of fourth, if, if I understand this correctly, I'm going to let you tell me all the ways that I'm wrong, Logan, in a second here, because like <laughs> you, you got a, like a, a really good education on this. I know from David Roll, who appears in Tim's films and was very influential with Tim and, and all of this stuff, actually his his work on shifting these dates. So so everything that I'm saying right now with this Amenhotep II, who reigned in the 14th century B.C., at least the way we calculate the numbers now, mm-hmm. um, he, he things seem to line up where he has someone who's not his son uh, actually taking over, or not his firstborn son taking over for him. That, that's something you would need because you have the uh, you have the firstborn of Egypt, the first the plague of the firstborn, where all the firstborn children of Egypt die, including Pharaoh's firstborn son. So you have to have someone who's not a firstborn taking over after that pharaoh. Um, it also does have to align with that date because of that, uh, what is it, 14, is it 1446? I might 14, be off 40, on that. Yeah, there's, I know there's some people debate 1446, 1447, okay. but I think it's 1546. Okay. Yep. I'm not too bad with my age, man. I can remember some numbers here. <laughs> but uh, so, so you have the, the 1446 date, which basically comes from Solomon, his reign, because he said that it's been 480 years. Is that right? 480 years when he's setting up the temple from that from then to the Exodus. So you calculate back and, and they have a little harder evidence to actually date the building of the temple and the dedication of the temple. So they extrapolate back from that 480 years. And there's a couple of other biblical passages, too, not just that one. But I think during the reign of Jephthah. The uh, yep. the judge of Israel who 
burned his was it his daughter? What a maniac! Don't want to be born in his family, but he. Um, <laughs> So, so I think he said it was about 300 years or something like that. There's a statement in there somewhere. And it was, so that, that stuff all works to about the 14th century BC. That's kind of the bottom line. So it can't be Ramses. If you watch the 1956 10 commandments movie, it, it can't be that Ramses. Mm -hmm. It can't be him. So I'm going to give you the floor now. Um, I've kind of proposed Amenhotep II just as a, as a potential candidate. I want you to tell me why I'm blatantly wrong. Explain this date shifting to us because I think that's important. You can actually watch more on this in the first Patterns of Evidence movie, uh, but Logan's going to explain it for you now. So, so tell, us, tell us about Amenhotep II, why you think that might be not be the guy, uh, who might be the guy, and then explain the date shifting because I think people need to understand that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll say this, like, I'm, I disregard Ramses II altogether for the same reasons you mentioned, the scriptural passage. There's even more scriptural passage, and there's external evidence pointing to this 1446 B.C. date that we're talking about. So if you go with Amenhotep II, who is in the 18th dynasty, the way the Egyptian chronology, the conventional Egyptian chronology, the way that's set up right now, Amenhotep II does fall within those date ranges. So if you if you stick with the conventional Egyptian chronology, then he would be the guy. He he is in that time frame, and he does have I, one thing I like to say is I like to study all the models and look at all the different perspectives and weigh all the options. And so if you go with that 18th dynasty model, Amenhotep is a is an amazing contender. I. Um, and I don't say this boastfully, I say this humbly because it was a gift from, definitely a gift from God. I had the opportunity along with people from over the world. David Roll actually taught a college level course through St. Petersburg Seminary in Yeshiva and offered this online course where he taught his new chronology model where he shifts the timeline. Oh, wow. And when he shifts, when he shifts the timeline of ancient Egypt, it shifts the 18th dynasty further down the timeline and actually brings the 18th dynasty in alignment with about the time of Saul and David. And it brings Egypt's 13th dynasty in alignment with the 1446 BC Exodus state that we're okay. talking about. Okay. And so that brings a whole new set of pharaohs into play. And so the, the pharaoh that I believe, because I, I, I do believe that the timeline shift is necessary, and I'll get into some of the evidence for why I believe that. But when you do that timeline shift, it brings a pharaoh by the name of Dudamos II. Dudamos II, wow. it lines him up with the date of the Exodus. And he also has some very compelling evidence in, in his favor for being the pharaoh of the Exodus, um, including we don't know if he had a successor who ascended the throne. Um, there's no there's no record. A lot of that comes from a, a document, an Egyptian papyrus called the Royal Canon of Turin, which admittedly is very fragmentary. So there's no record of him having. Now, that could be because the document's fragmented. But we also have no record of him having an heir that ascends the throne. Okay. Um, so but, why why the shift? Can you explain that? Yes. So there's there's these dark periods in Egyptian history that some scholars. It's not just David Roll either. There's other scholars like Dr. Peter Vanderveen. There's actually a whole group of scholars, mainly in Europe, that started to notice problems with Egypt's timeline the way it had been set up, and so they started proposing these chronological revisions to the timeline of Egypt. Basically, there's different dark periods in Egypt that they believed and pointed to evidence within genealogies, within archaeological synchronisms between Egypt and other nations, and also a really awesome scientific tool called astronomical retrocalculation, which I'll get wow. into in a moment. But they had these various <laughs> lines of evidence 
when they were looking at these various lines of evidence, they say the timeline of Egypt is off. These dark ages are overinflated. We need to condense the dark ages. And then there's also some some condensing that needs to happen with some of the dynasties as well. And when you condense those dark ages, when you condense some of the dynasties, it shifts the timeline down and brings these different pharaohs in alignment with the time of Joseph and the time of the Exodus and even beyond that. Um, and so my favorite line of evidence, like I said, there, there's some genealogies in Egypt that are really compelling genealogical records in Egypt that show that this there's some of these ta- some of the time is overinflated. There's archaeological synchronisms between Egypt and and places like Canaan and even Babylon, where there seems to be these different people, these different rulers that are connected with each other that the conventional scheme would try to say aren't connected with each other. But there's archaeological evidence that shows they are. But my favorite bit of it is actually the astro astronomical retro calculation. Okay. And so that's, that's what I'm going to get into a little bit. All right. Well, explain it. Okay. So astronomical retro calculation, basically a lot of ancient Near Eastern cultures recorded astronomical events. So signs that they, because they believed there were signs in the heavens. A lot of it had to do with some of their pagan beliefs, but yeah, yeah. they they looked at the stars, the constellations, alignments of certain things, even recording lunar lunar events like new moons and things like that. It had to do with their religious functions and also things having to do with agriculture, practical things. But they would observe the heavens and they would record sequences of events with the moon. And they would also record what they believed were omens in the heavens. If they saw certain conjunctions and certain alignments or eclipses, they thought it was the gods speaking to them. And so a lot of ancient Near Eastern cultures would keep astronomical records and then have interpretations of what they thought those signs in the heavens meant. And so we have that in Egypt. We have that in Babylon. We have several different cultures recording these astronomical observations. Now, what's really amazing about that is if you have different astronomical events that are rare or you so if you have astronomical events that are really rare or you have astronomical events where you have a sequence, like a sequence of several events in a row, you can actually use supercomputers, or not even supercomputers, (laughs) you can also just use um, astronomical software. There's things like Starry Night and things like that. There's basically, there's there's a discipline called archaeoastronomy where astronomers look at these archaeological tablets, these records, and they try to calculate backwards in time to see when those events took place based on what's being described in the text. Yeah. Can we, can we just as we can predict eclipses in the future and know when certain things are going to happen for sure, if we have records that are rare or we have records that are a whole sequence, a whole series, we can calculate backwards in time and determine what those dates were or the best fit yeah. for what the dates are. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, uh, it doesn't surprise me to, to hear that there is some of that discrepancy, and it's not always intentional. I think people just get locked on to what they already believe sometimes, and so they don't see some of these things. They they take for granted certain presuppositions that they have, whether it's in regard to religion or history or, quote, science. They just take these things into account, and I think if you're somebody who's honestly searching for truth, it can be frustrating. In terms of this, this is a pretty compelling piece of evidence for you then is this what did you yes. call it i was going to say astronomical but it's what is it called what, did you, what, what was the Astro- word you used so there's, a, there's a couple of terms so astronomical retro calculation yeah but it can also be called archaeoastronomy so it, it goes by both <laughs> i won't even come close to being able to say that when we're done uh, but uh but that's a pretty compelling piece of evidence for you in terms of this date shifting so i mean that's kind of what we're talking about here is is 
there was a lot of information thrown out there. And I think this is a big, this, this kind of weighs heavily on you in terms of you saying yes. these, these, this date shifting needs to place because apparently there's things that only line up when you do it this way. Right? Yes. Yes. Can, can you give like one or, watched, an example of that? Yeah, absolutely. I got a couple I wanted to share. So when you all say too, when you watch the first patterns of evidence film, they don't actually get into the astronomical retro calculation discussion. As you and I know, they just look for the pattern. Where does the pattern appear in history? Yeah. And so it shows where that pattern appears and the, the some of the evidence for the date shifting is discussed, but where you really get a lot of this material having to do with the astronomical stuff as when is in some of the books of some of the scholars like David Roll. Like I said, I, I got to take I had the opportunity to take a, a college level course and got to be a, one of his students. Yeah, that and had to be so cool. It was it was really cool. Got to learn his model in depth. But a couple of things, I'll just bring these up. So what what's really compelling to me is there's there's several of these astronomical events that take place between different cultures spread apart by centuries. And what's really compelling to me is when these are retro calculated by astronomers, they all converge on the timeline shift. It's not like they kind of fit. It's not like, oh, this one kind of fits, this one kind of doesn't. It's like these dates, when they're calculated backwards, they all converge on the shifting timeline and show that, and in fact, there was an astronomer, and this will be the first one I'll talk about. His name was David Lappin, and he wrote a paper um, called The Decline of Sothic Dating, which anybody can access. Wow. It's it's freely available. I even have a PDF copy of it. Sothic but, Dating. Sothic dating, yeah, talking about like the all oh, the Sothic dating that's used to help date Egypt, Egyptian chronology. Okay, and so he's talking about the decline of that. But basically, what what had happened is there's a pharaoh by the name of Amenemhat III, who in the patterns, the first patterns of evidence film, he's proposed to be the pharaoh of Joseph's time because it's in his time that you see like that statue, you see a varus and the okay. Semitic population okay. moving, okay. which so is important because you have to have a varus has to be lining up with that's that that's a significant archaeological find, which we're connecting to the Israelites living in Egypt. In Egypt That's what yes. we think. Might, and, and, and in the first Patterns of Evidence movie, he shows this, I guess, statue there, like you just said, that they think might have been Joseph, might have been his statue and tomb with the bones missing, yes. of course. Yes. Yeah. With the bones removed and everything. And it's a, the statue of a high Semitic official being honored by the Egyptian crown. Um, so we want with, that Avaris to line up with this rain that you're talking about. Yes. So Avaris, Avaris, that, that Semitic population coming into Avaris, which is in Goshen, directly beneath Ramses, the city of the later city of Ramses, Avaris beneath, lines up with the reign of Pharaoh Amenemhat III. Well, there's a pyramid complex called called El Lahun. And at Lahun, some of these astronomical observations that the Egyptians engaged in those texts were recorded, and it's known that some of the, these Lahoon lunar observations, it was, it was um, observations of the moon, and there's a sequence of 39 lunar observations that were recorded in this pyramid complex that date to the reign of Amenemhat III. Well, when you have a sequence of 39, that's a, that's a really good sequence. That's something yeah, really, that that's, astronomical retro calculation can, can look back and find a best fit for. What's really amazing is when this astronomer named David Lappin, he he wanted to do, he kind of did an independent confirmation. He was aware of David Roll's new chronology, and he did an independent confirmation. He's like, well, I'm kind of aware of this new chronology model. I'm I we we can kind of make this fit with some of the standard dates, but it doesn't fit super super well. It wasn't getting a really high percentage. There were some there were some lunar observations that were hitting. There were others that were missing. When he did when he when he retro calculated with the new chronology in mind. And he found the best fit for these lunar observations. He got 97% accuracy 
with a particular date. Wow. 90 cent, which is remarkable because if you have about 90% accuracy with a lunar, because sometimes you can't always see the moon due to like yeah, weather yeah, yeah. like that. So if you get a 97% accurate hit rate, that's a huge that, deal. Yeah, seriously. And that 97% accurate hit rate fell within what would be the biblical time that Joseph was in Egypt. So it showed that Amenemhat III, who's dated in the 19th century BC, needs to come into alignment with the 17th century BC, shifting by about two centuries down the timeline. Well, when you shift Amenemhat down the timeline, it shifts everything else down the timeline too. It brings the Egypt's 12th dynasty in alignment with the time of Joseph, and it brings Egypt's 13th dynasty in alignment with the time of the Exodus. Okay. And so that's one one of those astronomical calculations where D- David Lappin was so astounded by it that he was basically saying that astronomy, astronomical retrocalculation does not support the orthodox chronology. And he said the support it lends to the new chronology is nothing less than startling because of the accuracy he got with that with those particular dates that line up with the biblical time of joseph yeah right that that's incredible there are a couple of of uh, uh, quotes from people that uh, ancients i guess josephus i think quotes somebody i can't remember the guy's name he was an egyptologist in his day an ancient egyptologist who says specifically mentions amenhotep how would you <laughs> respond to that and i my understanding too is that there's there's others too that that say that it was someone else uh, you would probably know more than me so can you explain or respond to that so the the actually with with josephus i would need to look back into that because i have heard that before and i think that's actually something we covered in class um if i'm remembering correctly i think we did talk about that amenhotep connection with josephus in class and so admittedly that's something i would have to look back into because it's been something that i i heard and there was an explanation for but i'm not re- just in total honesty i'm not remembering it's it all good man I, that's a hardball question to throw at you right there but uh, no no it's but it's good it's good i need to look back into that dude <laughs> so yeah so th- th- this obviously is a big piece and i, I think getting back to the whole avaris thing we're trying to connect this avaris um archaeological site with the Hebrews as they're living there in Egypt, potentially mm-hmm. with Joseph himself. Um, I think one of the other things they mentioned about this Avaris site is that it seems to have been abruptly abandoned, which would fit the Exodus because you've got that. But uh, one question I had as you were speaking is about the dating of the Avaris site mm-hmm. itself. So yeah. Now we're talking about shifting, you know, reigns of pharaohs and things like that and our understanding of Egyptology. But does how does that line up with the archaeological dating of Avaris itself to a certain time period? Does that date to a certain time frame within and how would that fit with either Amenhotep or the other guy's name that you mentioned? Do yes, Dudamus. So it does. It Dudum, does fit that Dudum. way. So basically, there, and this is where it gets. There's lots of complexity with this. Is you have a couple. You have a couple different models, a couple different ideas, and it also depends on what your thoughts are on the Hyksos period. Okay. Which the, the Hyksos period there, because that also took place at Avaris. So when you when you look at this, it it is known that the the settlement of Avaris, that initial settlement of Avaris, does date to the reign of Amenhotep, or not Amenhotep, sorry, Amenemhat the third, Amenemhat the third. So it's known that that those two coincide with each other. Amenhotep the third, who I'm saying is the pharaoh of Joseph, and Avaris are. Co- coincide with each other. There's archaeological okay. evidence that that links the two together. Even the statue of Joseph, there were, there have been some um, Egyptian art historians that have looked at it, and they've actually were able to. Det- 
determine that that statue was carved in the royal work based on the composition of it and the style. They were able to determine that it was actually carved in the royal workshops of Amenemhat III. So that pharaoh honored that high Semitic official with a statue and a pyramid tomb, which is remarkably like the Joseph story. Yeah, very very interesting for sure, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of interesting connections there. Um, Mm -hmm. Fascinating to me. I know just from the time I started watching these documentaries, I just thought it was really incredible. And there is a lot of evidence for the Bible, so you you do have you do have definitely this this incredible site there in Avaris that it, it's uh, today it's just like a field because I know when we were over there we started off in Egypt and, and but but when they were excavating a lot of this stuff you can actually see pictures and, and depictions of what they found um, and and it it does you know I guess it dates to the time of these these different pharaohs so. That would what you're saying in regard to uh, to this would point then to with with the shift in chronology there that would point to this Didymos. It would it would well. There's a couple of things here. Yes, it depends because if you go with the 18th dynasty model, you have the Hyksos in Egypt, and they were a Semitic people group with just before. Okay, so it's basically this. If you go with the 18th dynasty model, you have the Hyksos there in Egypt, also at Avaris, okay. with just in, with and just before the Israelites. If you go with the timeline shift, the 13th dynasty model, you have the Israelites there first. Okay. Avar, Avaris is abandoned, and then the Hyksos come into Egypt after the Israelites abandon Avaris. So you you can you have them there the, in these two models. You have the Israelites first, then the Hyksos, or in the other model, you have the Hyksos first. Than the Israelites. Okay. So yeah, I think that was what uh, the the ones that I had seen. That that's what they had talked about. The Hyksos being there first, but it would be flip flop flip flopped. I guess in in Tim's understanding of it too, the way he presents it in in the film. I mean, yeah, the be... way he presents it in the film. Yeah, the way it's presented in the film is that when the Israelites abandoned left Avaris, and because of the devastation of the plagues yeah. and the Pharaoh's army being you know destroyed in the Red Sea, Egypt was decimated and so the Hyksos were able to come in and then take over the country and set up the Hyksos dynasties that then ruled and conquered okay. the Egyptians for, Which, for quite some time. Uh, now so that that's another little piece that might fit in where we're saying that God decimates the armies of Egypt. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be some mechanism. Something's going to happen there because it, it decimates the economy, the social structure of the government, the army wipes it out. Um, there has to be some something happens there, so maybe that's the mechanism. This is what you're saying, right? That's maybe yes, that's potentially the mechanism. The, and there's, the mechanism yes. for the Hyksos coming in and being able to take over the country, basically. Yeah, and there's also a really interesting. This is one thing I want to tell you because I know we were just talking about Josephus, and I was saying, admittedly, that's something I need to look into. But Manitho, the Egyptian, that's the guy's name uh, I was looking for. I forgot. Manitho. So Manitho talks <laughs> about Dudamos actually, and so we okay. actually have a record in favor of Dudamos as well from Manitho. And, from Manitho, from Manitho. And so Manitho refers to him as Tutamaios, which is the Greek version of Dudamos. And so Manitho, I'm just going to read the quote here, says, okay. Tutamaios or Dudamos, in his reign for what cause I know not. And he says, God, and God is in the singular, not plural. God smote us, the Egyptians, and unexpectedly from regions of the east, invaders of an obscure race marched in confidence of victory against our land. And then he talks about how this referring to the Hyksos, how they came in and they were able to take over the city. And he says, without striking a single blow. So how could they? So how he, could they... Minitho actually says that it was Didymos. And then he like and then he also mentions the Hyksos, like he mentions them by name. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, so the the invaders from the invaders of a, of obscure race from the east. Okay, a lot that people, especially David Roll and other people, are equating that. Oh, this is the Hyksos invasion. This is the Hyksos coming in and taking over. I see. Egypt. I see. Okay. All right. Okay. But what's interesting is that it's God, a singular God, smote us, the Egyptians, and because God had smitten us. These rulers, these invaders of an obscure race, were able to come in and take over the country without striking a single blow. Yeah, very, is, is very fascinating. Yeah, um, that so, that is interesting. Do, do you think that like the academia and uh, the scholarly understanding of of Egypt is un, is changing? Do you think it will change? Does it seem like there's others? I mean, you, you said that there's other people uh, other than just David Roll in in academia that are are looking at this. You said doing yeah. independent studies and so on. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a whole group of scholars doing this. Dr. Peter Vanderveen's one of them. He's one of the translators of the recent Mount Ebal curse tablet, which has God God's name from Mount Ebal from that altar up on Mount Ebal. Yeah. Uh, so there's a whole group of scholars. They even had a forum called the Journal of Ancient Chronology Forum. And so there's a whole group of scholars. It's not just David Roll. A lot of these scholars are European, and they're looking at these problems with the timeline. They're looking at the evidence from astronomical retro calculation, different genealogical records, and they're saying, hey, something's really off here. The timeline's overinflated. We need to reduce things, shift things. And when you shift these, the remarkable thing is, and this will be shown in some of the later patterns of evidence films, is it doesn't just give you the exodus. When you do this timeline shift, it also reveals amazing evidence for Saul and David and Solomon that even the 18th dynasty model struggles to produce. Okay, wow, that's incredible. Is is there any other things that are um, points of interest for you that that make you want to say for sure this Didymos is the, the pharaoh of the exodus? Yeah, so there are some other things that make me want to say it. So his reign, if we if we follow this timeline shift, you remember the death pits at Avaris that are shown in the first film? Yeah, 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 yeah. So at one point, just before the Semitic population abandons Avaris and the Hyksos come in, there's these death pits that appear at Avaris where bodies are just buried like in an emergency. And even Manfred Bittak, who's a secular archaeologist, the excavator, thinks that a plague had occurred where these people had to be buried had to be buried in mass graves quickly so to to avoid infection with the other population so you have these plague pits these huh. death pits wow. where all bodies are just tossed in scores of bodies tossed in and buried in just all like not nothing proper they're just tossed on top of each other and buried over and so that i think is archaeological evidence of the 10th plague and oh, that yeah, yeah. the bible talks about something like that <laughs> Yeah, okay. it, yeah, that would correspond uh, with the reign of Dudamos II. Okay, and so basically, then, when, uh, getting back to Avaris, when we look at Avaris and we're talking about dating Avaris, some of it dates to a time, this time period of this previous pharaoh, which we're equating with the time of Joseph, but then mm-hmm. it, it kind of overlaps with that whole time period, and mm-hmm. Avaris as a as a community, as a city, was completely abandoned. At some point, yeah. is there any way to get more specific with the dating at Avaris? I don't know if that's too difficult of a question or if it's something that maybe they don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. Is that there? There are ways I would have to I'd have to go back and study it again and look. There are ways where you can get pretty if I'm remembering correctly. OK. And in Dave in Professor Roll's book and also in the book that Tim and Steve Law wrote together, they do talk a little bit about that, like how to be more precise with the dating of the abandonment of Avaris. Okay. But it is based on the levels, one thing that can be known for sure is that Semitic abandonment there at Avaris just where the death pits are, just after the death pits appear, that that does precede the Hyksos 
coming in and setting up shop okay. because it's in a layer below the Hyksos layer. So it's this this abandonment happens first, then the Hyksos and come the Hyksos in. Come out. And that, so, okay. that okay. no. And what well, about the uh, what about the, the Joseph's tomb and all that stuff and uh, or what yeah, what may be Joseph's tomb? You know. Yeah. That one can be securely dated to Amenemhat the Third, okay? Because like I said they can securely date it with, especially the the. So the that would be below it. even the tomb would be below where the abandonment happened. Then the abandonment mm-hmm. was later. So yep, there, the abandonment there, was later. Yeah, later. So, so I, I think this is just a, a good thing to take note of because it this 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 site Avara seems to really be the place where the Israelites lived. I mean, yes, <laughs> it's a Semitic people. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. and, and yes. then you have these alignment with these different you, you are talking about like a four to five hundred year swing between the time that Joseph is there and the time that the Israelites leave in the Exodus, just with the pharaohs that we mentioned there, even with mm-hmm. the date shifting. Uh, so that that does seem to line up. And Logan, thank you very much, man. That was some really cool, uh, really cool info. Um, anything else you want to say about this particular topic before we cut it off here? Because I'm sure there will be people that watch this that are have questions i mean any, any yeah. other reasons well, I'll, just, yeah. I'll just i'll just say this like i like i said i like to study both models and there are scholars that i really love and admire and respect who who adhere to the 18th dynasty model yeah. and they do have good evidence for it so i'm saying don't take my word for it study it for yourself and just know that like i also think like if you look at the 18th dynasty model with the hyksos that are there and there are semitic people there in the time of amenhotep the yeah. second so there are semitic people there that line up with his reign as well look at both models look weigh all the evidence the pros and cons right. and determine it for yourself but the other one would be dependent upon this date shifting and and really that kind of settles it one way or the other if the date shifting should happen or if it shouldn't happen i mean that that really that that kind of sums it all up but you do have you do have the evidence there it's just a matter of interpreting it the right way to find out which pharaoh it was i mean that's really what we're kind of what we're discussing at this point but it definitely isn't ramses of the 1956 10 commandment movie um but it it's uh it's probably one of these other two guys that's what it seems like and there's a lot of stuff that does line up with the bible we definitely know that the Bible is true and that we can take it at face value. It's trustworthy because we can trust in these stories, not just as stories, but true events. The, the, the people are real. The places are real. And they didn't change the name for sensitivity. We know who they were. Because we can trust those stories, we know that we can trust Jesus for salvation. I think that's kind of the bottom line, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess my hope is with some of this stuff that more, more and more people— come to know Christ, more and more people are won over to faith to seeing these, not just as true stories, but really seeing uh, God glorified through them, uh, hopefully. And I'm sure you're seeing that happen already, and you've probably seen it happen. I, I heard Tim ends this film with a, with a, like a worship set. Yeah. Yeah. Am so I allowed to mention that? that? I, he, I saw him mention it already. So I think it's fair for me to say that. Oh right? yeah. No, absolutely. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So he thought, you know, we do a lot of the panel discussions. There's been a lot of panel discussions done at the end of the film. Yeah. And his thoughts were, you know, the whole purpose of going to Mount Sinai was Moses was leading them out to worship God. And so he thought, you know, let's not do a panel discussion. Let's honor God and let's worship him, which is the whole purpose of why the Israelites went to Mount Sinai in the first place. And so he has a praise choir and the praise choir are as actually made up of people who struggled with drug addiction. And because of the power of the gospel, they were freed from that. And so 
so it's made up of wow. a choir of people who who is who have overcome drug addiction and so it's it's going to be a worship and praise session right after the film yeah that's so cool that's awesome logan so um well i'm gonna actually play the trailer for the movie if you haven't already seen it uh, i'm gonna play it for you now so uh so sit back and watch I'm investigative filmmaker Tim Mahoney, and my investigation continues for the true location of Mount Sinai. Follow me and Exodus Explorers on a search for more biblical evidence. These are the 12 stones. Yes. One, two, three, four. At this place, something very important happened. There was so much evidence. It felt like I walked into something that was 3,500 years old, undisturbed. The characteristics of Mount Sinai described in the Bible match the characteristics of a volcano exactly. How could Moses have ascended a mountain into an active volcanic eruption? Oh, there's you, Logan. When Moses fled, he went to Midian. Why haven't scholars looked in Midian in Saudi Arabia? Because they can't. That's why. What risk would these Exodus explorers be willing to take to prove the Bible? After five years, he made a desperate decision. He made a desperate decision. That just kind of poisoned the well for everyone else to need to do scientific work in the area. And they put fences up and keep people away. This Jeep roared up and three desert policemen jumped out. And, and these guys up. are waving these AK-47s right in the faces of my children and just screaming, get out of here. Uh, we can't get into the area but we can see what we need to see through the fence. They stumbled upon something that was pretty unique. Is this the holy altar where God made a covenant with the nation of Israel? They didn't use it for sacrificing animals. What else would you use it for? Once I realized what this site was, I dropped to my knees. Have they found the mountain of God where Moses received the Ten Commandments? Why would you go to church every week? Why would you pray? Why would you look forward to the future if the whole foundation of what you are doing this for is fiction? This is some of the most amazing, awe-inspiring, foundational, miraculous acts of the Lord throughout the entire scriptures. Join me as I conclude my 20-year search for which mountain best matches the biblical event in Patterns of Evidence, Journey to Mount Sinai, Part 2, a nationwide theatrical fathom event, May 15th and 17th. Get tickets now. Oh, good stuff. I can't wait to see this movie tomorrow. So, yeah, we, we see uh, we see probably Jim and Penny Caldwell. Penny's in the in the uh, trailer there, plus Mary Nell, Ron Wyatt's widow, uh, who's now married again. But... Uh, uh, we see Logan Key, Logan Key sweater in, in the trailer. <laughs> so all all these uh, yeah all these these cool figures I think from um, the history of of this particular site uh, of Jebel Makala in Saudi Arabia, uh, having been there, seeing the altar that he mentions there in the uh, in the trailer and and been to the mountain. Um, I mean I, I think that's it, man. I think that's uh -huh. it. I, I know that that's the conclusion that he's sort of driving towards, right? In in this, that's the. Uh, but he's got scorecards too, where people can make up their own mind. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's wanting to give like a completely unbiased, fair, just approach to everything. Show all the pros and cons of every mountain, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I think there's one mountain that stands far and above the rest of them. You want to you want to give people a final, final plug for the show, final plug for the movie. 
Yeah, if you guys are willing to just help support, go to the movie tomorrow, May, May 15th or Wednesday, May 17th, 7 p.m. Um, you can go to fathom.com and you can look up uh, you can look up Journey to Mount Sinai 2 or you can go to the Patterns of Evidence website and we have links there as well. And you can just go and get your tickets and just enjoy it because it, it is, having worked on it, I can say it is going to be a very faith-affirming film. It will strengthen your faith. And I, I, I say that without hesitation. It will. Amen, my friend. So cool. And uh, Logan, thanks again for coming on, man. God bless you. And I guess we'll see you next time. Uh, Tim, thanks for loaning your guide to us. We appreciate it. (laughs) God bless you, man. I've already told you about my recent trip to the Middle East and the real Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia. But what you may not know is that you can experience these things for yourself. And it's all made possible through our friends and ministry partners at DiscoveredSinai.com, where Andrew Jones and his team will take you on an adventure of biblical proportions to places like Noah's Ark, the Pyramids of Egypt, the real Mount Sinai and Red Sea Crossing site, the Split Rock of Horeb, Elijah's Cave, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Jerusalem. I can't emphasize enough just how incredible this opportunity is. It will be life-changing for you and your family. And here's the cool part. You can do the whole tour or just book the individual things you'd like to see. And the prices are amazingly reasonable for this all-inclusive spiritual experience. Book your tour today at DiscoveredSinai.com. All right, that's all we have, guys, and uh, I hope that you enjoyed everything. I do want to encourage you not only to go see this movie, but also to uh, be open to coming to know the person of Christ, because that's really what this ministry, Gospel Ministries, is all about. It's all about the gospel, and we want you to come to know the gospel. We want you to know that the Bible is true, the Bible is real. Um, If you have never come to know the person of Christ— The Bible says that all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Back in that time, the Israelites called upon the name of the Lord, and God saved them. And so uh, that's all you have to do is the same thing. The Bible says if you believe in your heart uh, that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you will be saved. That's all you have to do is believe. God requires faith. He doesn't require good works. He doesn't require, you know, all, all these other spectacular things that you look good, that you have a lot of money, um, that you're super fun to be around. He just requires faith. And so if you just say this prayer with me right now, God will actually save you. He will give you a new nature on the inside. As confirmation that you did that, I want to encourage you to get baptized because that's the outward symbol of what God does in your heart and to uh, uh, join a church where you can be encouraged in your faith by other believers. But just say this prayer with me. If you've never done this before, I assure you this is real. Uh, This is what the Bible teaches you to do, to call upon the name of the Lord. So just say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. I ask you to come into my life and change me on the inside. Make me born again. I believe that you died for my sins. I thank you. And I believe that you rose again. I ask you to change my life. I give myself over to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you did say that prayer, then God has uh, changed your life. I know it may not seem like it, but do what I said. Go get baptized. Join a church. And if you're free this week, go see the new Patterns of Evidence movie. It will encourage you as a believer. And if you're not a believer, you should be one. Uh, This movie just might make the difference for you. So go see it. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.